el primero de mayo. <risa> Hello and welcome to the The Sam D Podcast. I am your host, Sam Duzame Jr. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube at The Sam D. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up thesamd.com. Follow along with the podcast on social media at The Sam D Podcast. Musical production done by May 1st Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash May 1st Music. There's so much to get into that's not even related to the NBA Finals that I almost don't even want to lead with Game 4 of the NBA Finals. By far the most exciting game, the most interesting game, the game with the most storylines so far out of the four games, right? But with everything else that's been going on, I'm kind of ready to kind of pivot a little bit and talk about some other shit. So please believe we'll get to game four. I'm not trying to skirt that. Y'all know what happened with the point fraud. So we going to get there. But I think I want to get into first the overworked and overpaid by hiding behind the paywall fraud A. Smith. Like he made two mistakes. He cop pleas for both mistakes. He apologized for one way faster than he did the other and was more egregious about one mistake way more than the other. And it's coming to the point where I just have to ask y'all, y'all see it, right? Like y'all see the blatant favoritism. You see the blatant characterization. You see the wrestling aspect that I've talked about a few pods ago, right? Like you, you can't tell me you don't see it. It's contrived. It's made up. It's pre-planned. All of it. So I don't know where y'all stand with it. I mean, I think it's a pretty easy take to be like, yeah, he's wrong for what he said on both accounts. Word. Easy. Done. End of sentence. However, let's move the conversation forward. And that's kind of what I do here. I don't want to give y'all generic takes that you can literally get from the worst sports podcast in the world to the best sports podcast in the world. I want y'all to come here and I want you to follow or subscribe, depending on what app you're using, to hear me push the conversation forward and go deeper into the topic, not just surface level shit. We try to go deeper here. So here's my thing. Let's move past the initial thing of he fucked up and saying that Shohei Otani cannot be the face of baseball because he does not speak English. Number one, that's categorically incorrect. If you saw on Twitter, and it's been all over the place, but there's full interviews of Shohei Otani speaking in English. Is it the most fluid? No. But as someone who's speaking in their second language, it's pretty damn good, right? So just that point was just useless, right? Because again, there's been players before, like at one point in time, depending on where you were, there's been players that have been foreign-born players who couldn't speak the English language that well who were faces of baseball. Sammy Sosa was a face of baseball. He could not speak English, and when they put him out there on trial, when they had to stir what users go to Congress, he blatantly was like, yeah, dog, you know, paraphrasing, because obviously he didn't say just like this. Yeah, dog, this ain't my first language, so I'm not about to put myself out here. 
I'm not about to expose myself and say something wrong and using the wrong grammar or whatever, wrong punctuation, and y'all roast me. Y'all just going to have to deal with me not speaking here. And he referred everything to his attorney. And that's how he's given. That's how he was giving up the entire time when he was killing shit back in the late 90s. It was baseball been very, very good to me and everyone loved it. He spoke very limited English, but he was everywhere. He was walking red carpets. He was the on covers of magazines. He was doing everything. There's been multiple 3030s mentioning him. He's been a known figure for a very long time. And he was, along with Mark McGuire, the face of baseball. When they came back from the strike and everyone was bombs away, hitting home runs, roided up, juiced up, and all of that, he was a face of baseball. So to go out there and say, the overworking, underpaid, now hiding behind the paywall, Freud A. Smith, that no one who is a foreign-born, non-English-speaking player can be a face of baseball is just factually incorrect. So again, you're wrong in the fact that Otani can't speak English. You're wrong in the fact that no one who's a foreign-born player can be considered the face of baseball. So what is he saying? He's just saying the thing that he knew, his producers knew, and his social media team knew would get clicks. Because immediately after he said that and it got retweeted all over the place and the firestorm began, they grabbed their, and that they, as in the four-letter network, grabbed their most reputable reputable MLB commentator, columnist, insider, whatever, and booked him the next day for the show. So, I mean, do you see it or not? Nah? Because this is one of the slowest times of the year. If it wasn't for the NBA finals being pushed back because of COVID, this is one of the most deadest times of the year. And the only sport we have is baseball. So this is where dudes who don't watch baseball now have to lock in on baseball because Usually the NBA Finals is done. NFL is, is gearing up in terms of OTAs and mini camps and stuff like that, but it's nothing serious. So you're there's nothing to talk about. Baseball's the only thing on the sports schedule. It's the only thing on the sports calendar. This calendar is barren. It's just, well, now we got the Olympics this year, but we've seen what's happened with that. So we don't even have a lot there with that. So the fact that we have the overworked and underpaid, and you know what? Let's get into the overworked and underpaid part. Because you've seen it. Tell me he's not overworked. This man did UFC, where he's not really locked in on that. And the UFC fans destroy him every chance he gets for his lack of knowledge and wherewithal of what he's talking about. But they have to trot him out there anyway because he's the guy. So he goes from UFC to the NBA Finals and he's trying to stunt that he's on a PJ and all of this leads me to Maria Taylor. And how does that pivot happen, Sam? Well, here's how the pivot happens. So if you recall, there was a leak, most likely from the full of the network, when this whole Maria Tang started to bubble. Not the whole full Rachel Nichols angle, but just the Maria Tang, Maria Taylor angle in general. It started to bubble about a month ago. And word was, she wants Stephen A money. She wants Stephen A money. And that leak was by the For the Network most likely. Because that headline in itself makes you be like, wait, wait, well, wait a minute. 
overworked and underpaid, now hiding behind the paywall for all Smith. At least he's doing 20-something shows. He's behind paywalls doing shows that he's flying all over the place doing content. Maria Taylor, how is she going to get Stephen A money? She's not putting out nowhere near the, the amount of content, regardless of how good she is at what she does. She's not providing the same amount of content as the overworked and underpaid now hiding behind a paywall for A. Smith. So it was an easy sell to the public. It's a very leading headline. Maria Taylor wants Stephen A. Smith money. To a lot of people, to the general public, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So now, let's go back even further. When they tried to get Skip back to the fold of the network, yes, that was a thing. They were going to get Max up out of there and they were going to reunite the overworked and underpaid, now hiding behind the paywall for all day Smith with Skip. Didn't happen. Skip decided to chill where he's at, and I think he got about six, seven mil a year. But in those negotiations, it was leaked that the overworked, underpaid, now hiding behind the paywall for all day Smith made about eight mil a year. So remember that, right? Maybe if you want to say it was 10, there were reports of 10, but more times than not, I saw eight. But even, even if you want to get to 10, we can even have that conversation. But let's just say for the, for the sake of what I saw, more times than not, I saw eight. Let's stick with eight. So eight million a year. Now, Maria Taylor comes out and says she wants Stephen A money, or at least that's what the headline infers. People think, wait, if Stephen A is getting eight million, how the hell is Maria Taylor going to get eight million? That's crazy. Okay. So before the Otani and the Nigeria basketball team statements that he made, there was a leak for some odd reason. As again, remember, the Maria Taylor negotiations are still going on. And now that the NBA Finals has gone to six games, her contract has expired. And this reports that she's close with NBC, da, 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 all the stuff that's on the timeline. We, we all know what, what type of time that's going to be. So, but then all of a sudden, it was said that the overworked and underpaid now hiding behind the paywall, Fraud A. Smith, makes $12 million a year. But wait a minute. You literally just tried to get Skip to come home, and you were throwing Stephen A. money at him then. And that money was reported to be around $8 million, maybe with incentives, whatever, whatever, like an athlete contract. Maybe it gets to ten. million whatever the case may be. Now someone is leaking that it's 12 million. So is this funny money or not? Is this NFL money or not? Because that's a big jump to say someone makes eight and then under a year later, say someone makes 12. Now, again, I'm not here to count anybody's pockets. I'm just using this to show you that when I say overworked and underpaid, we don't know what he actually makes. We know what's been reported. We know what people are willing to give a range, give a ballpark figure, whatever. But when these numbers get thrown out like that, does it sound legit or does it sound like football money? Does it sound like an NFL type contract where there's a bunch of funny money and you're never really sure how much someone's getting paid? You tell me. Because you can't tell me he's overworked. And now with varying degrees of reporting of what he's making, you can't tell me he's not underpaid either. Because you can't tell me what he's getting paid. 
So when I say these nicknames, when I use point fraud, when I use habitual nut hitter, you know, when I use point guard for Rajon Rondo, and when I use the overworked and underpaid, now hiding behind the paywall, Fraud A. Smith, I'm using it off of truth. It's not facsimile. It's not any of that. It's factual. My nicknames for people are based off my truth, but larger than that, facts. So when Maria Taylor comes out there and wants to get paid her worth, and her agent, assuming it's her agent, is doing his or her job by saying, yeah, we want Stephen A money. We want to be the next big dog in the company. And then someone from the other side feels away about someone who's probably perceived by the public to not be worth Stephen A money, wanting Stephen A money. But people inside that building and inside the industry know how much not only potential she has, but what she has already done for that company. They can now twist that narrative and say, well, look, she wants Stephen A money. She's crazy. She out her damn mind. By the way, let's float out there that Stephen A makes more than that eight because we might have to actually give Maria eight. Because you can't have the overworked and underpaid now how to behind the paywall fraud A. Smith allegedly making eight and Maria Taylor go get eight because the workload's not the same. I'm not saying the value is the same either, and that could go either way in who you think is more valuable. Y'all probably have a, have a great idea of where I think the value lies more with, but in regards to just a monetary value, and that means something. Obviously, people want to get paid what their worth is. You want to, ha- you want to get paid what you feel your value is. If I'm the overworked and underpaid, now hiding behind the paywall, and I got to be flown all over the country to keep up with all the events that my employer keeps throwing me on because I'm the biggest personality, you can't have Maria Taylor making the same money as me. But if that's not the case, then you better at least float something publicly that says I make more money. Even if I know I don't, You better help me save face publicly by saying I make more money. And then when it's time for the re-up, then we'll have that conversation then. This is where that part of the story to me is where it's at. You want to go back and forth about what he said and what it means to, he's just wrong. It's a pierce everything, parse everything, whichever version of it you want. He's just wrong. He was wrong about Otani. He was disrespectful. He was just disrespectful to Otani and definitely disrespectful to the Nigerian basketball team by mispronouncing their names, acting like he didn't know who they were to sell the bigger point. Again, wrestling, selling the bigger point. And this is what people do a lot. People mispronounce stuff for the joke of it. That's become like a joke. You hear it on a lot of podcasts where people mispronounce names to go for the joke or to act like they don't know and they're just spitballing. And that's where I think he took that angle from. He took that angle from, well, who are these dudes? He knew them names back in the day when he first got hired. He gave you every syllable in the world to pronounce Slava Medvedenko. He knew that name, but he don't know the Nigerian basketball players' names. And they got seven NBA players on the roster. So this is what I'm saying. It's all contrived. It's all wrestling. He knew what them dudes' names were. 
he was going for the joke. He was going for the, he was selling the bigger point, which is Team USA should not have lost to a bunch of dudes he considers to be no names. So to make that point and drive it home and to sell it, he had to act like he didn't know Nigerian's basketball team. So this is what I'm saying. How long y'all going to keep supporting the Four Letter Network and their content? How long y'all going to keep doing it? How long are you going to keep watching the programming, downloading the podcast, subscribing or following the content, YouTube channels? Like how, how long are you going to keep doing that? Unless you're just accepting the fact that what I'm watching is a male soap opera. Because that's what essentially what wrestling has always been. Wrestling is a male soap opera. So now you have a sports male soap opera. Every day, two people sit at a desk and they debate. You think two people naturally have stuff to disagree about every single day? I mean, come on now. Now, some of y'all relationships might be that. But that's a whole nother Kevin Samuels type discussion. But when it comes to this, in this sports media realm, like it's different, dog. Like, I don't want to have to come on here and yell and scream every pod to get a point across. That's why sometimes... My pods are, are, they could be even, they could be chill. I could just be out here just spitting facts, giving out game, whatever, whatever. And then sometimes I get animated. I go up into that. So you have to ride the roller coaster with me. But if I'm on 10 every time, that's just going to wear you out. If I'm on 10 every time, it's going to wear you out. And that whole formula wore me out years ago. And I've been preaching people to stop watching it ever since. But you know, man's just going to keep creating content because he needs to keep showing his value and his worth to his boss. That's just what it comes down to. If he's not pushing the needle, if he's not creating content, if he's not getting aggregated and getting retweeted and being criticized for saying something, then his value plummets. Let's even say he's making that 12 mil. The company has to justify why they're giving him that 12 mil. That's why he's so overworked. But in him being overworked, doing multiple shows a day behind the paywall and not behind the paywall, going to different on location events, they have to justify that salary. But he's not knowledgeable about every single thing he's being flown to. Yeah, he used to be a journalist, but he hasn't wrote an article in decades. He's just a talker. He's a paid talker. So it is what it is. Accept it. It's wrestling. As long as you understand that this is all contrived, this is all fake, this is all just to make sure that you get clicks and get aggregated and create think pieces and whatnot, then I guess we cool. But that's why I'm here to just let you know what you're listening to, what you're watching to, what you're investing in. You're investing your time, your eyeballs, your impressions, your algorithms into something that's fake. COVID is back. I don't know if y'all have noticed this. Well, I actually think COVID never went anywhere. But I mean, COVID is back in a major way and it's tearing down the sports world. And you're seeing how the rush to go back outside and the rush to go get that money and recoup what you lost last year is now putting things in jeopardy again. And you look at what it's done to boxing. The Fury Wilder fight has been postponed because allegedly Fury caught the Rona. He was running around 
back outside trying to live his best life and caught that Rona and spread it amongst his team, allegedly. So now that fight's going to be postponed to October. You have Team USA's being ravaged by the Rona. Bradley Beal being sent home. He's going to miss the whole Olympics because of catching COVID. And I think there was another player. It's like at least one or two other players that have also are at least in the protocols. I don't know if they've caught COVID, but they're in the COVID protocols. So it's like, what are we doing here? And even in baseball, the Yankees are being ravaged by COVID. And some of their players were at the All-Star game. And now the Boston Red Sox are a little worried because they're about to play the Yankees. And they're like, wait a minute. Some of our dudes were just what we y'all dudes at the All-Star game. Maybe we need to shut this down because if your dudes is catching the Rona, maybe our guys caught the Rona too. The rush to get back outside, not mandating vaccines, no mask, no whatever, just going back to normal because we got to get this bread. We got to get some of this bread back. It's really fucking things up. Cali's going back to mask or at least I think just L.A. I don't know if that's state mandated or not. But I know Cali's on the verge of going back to wearing masks. I could tell you being here in the tri-state, you know, at least in New York and Jersey, people ain't wearing a mask, bro. And people look at you funny if you ain't wear if you're wearing a mask. I wear a mask every time I step out. Like y'all not giving me that shit. I'm not catching it from y'all. I would feel like a sucker if I ran out here in the streets thinking shit was sweet and I caught that Rona. I'm not moving like that. I'm not on that type of time. I ain't catch it during the pandemic and I was masked up everywhere I went. Ain't shit changed to me. I'm treating it like it's last July. Ain't shit changed. I step out, mask. Out of here. Vax or no vax. Mask. Give a fuck. So, because people with the vax are catching it and people with the vax are dying. Right. So it's like, I'm wearing a mask regardless. Seamoss and burdock root with a little bit of elderberry. You be good. I say all that because that article came out about, you know, primarily Steve Ballmer, but it's ownership, sports owners in general, and how the tax breaks are so crazy. And they use the line or the example of Ballmer paid 12% taxes last year. Or was it 2019? I'm not sure. It was either last year, 2020 or 2019. While LeBron paid a 33% tax rate. And then on top of that, there was a stadium employee or something to that effect that had the normal 40 something percent tax rate. And therein lines the issue. You have the multi-billionaire paying the least amount of taxes in comparison to someone who makes the median, if not below the median average income. And this is where, because of what COVID did, it made people sit down and it made buildings shut down because of the uncertainty. The fountain of money that normally these sports teams bring in got shut down. And that's why they were trying to do everything and rush everything and push everything as fast as possible because they got to get this money. And not only do they got to get this money, they got to get this money so that they could write off even more money. And that's essentially what that sports article uh, displayed because sports owners don't come with the same risk as regular business owners. There's very little depreciation. 
If anything, it's the opposite. When's the last time you've seen a sports franchise diminish in value in one of the four major sports? Even the Mets, whose ownership group was laughable, former ownership group was laughable and was dysfunctional and got scammed by Bernie Madoff. And if you've been an OG listener to when I was on the radio, y'all know how I used to air them out and put all their shit on Front Street. They've been dysfunctional since I've ever cracked a mic on a pod or a radio show. That's going on 10 joints, more than 10 joints. So this is what we're looking at. You have dysfunctional ownership groups that are losing money on, on paper. Because it's funny money, just like NFL. When you do the taxes a certain way, it could be funny money like the NFL. But they were still able to flip and get a Billy Plus for the Mets. They still made out, they still won, is what I'm saying. So even when you're bad as an owner, when you're dysfunctional, when you get scammed, you can still come out on top. And that's what the business of sports is. The media rights, the TV rights keep going up. With the legalization of gambling, now that money is being thrown into the leagues left and right. So now money that the league didn't have access to. This isn't like Europe where gambling's been out there on Front Street for decades. Every sport over there is treated like NASCAR with ads all over the kits. Only over here in the West was was the jerseys being held as some holier-than-thou, some sanctified, you know, piece of clothing that you couldn't sell anything. Now you see it. The logos are coming. FanDuel and DraftKings are out here throwing bread around. This is what it is. The more, there's so many streams of income. We talk about passive streams of income, and shout out to y'all who checked out the episode I did with the homie Cash about financial literacy. If you haven't checked that out, uh, just check, just refresh your feed. It's back. It's about two episodes ago. When you look at who's allowed to be owner, because you're allowed to be owner. It's not just, oh, if you got the money, you can do it. You have to be allowed. You have to be welcomed into the club of sports ownership. And it's such a limited club when you look at how few teams there are. It's 20 to 30 teams and most of these in the four major sports leagues. That's not a lot in the grand scheme of things. When you're talking about millionaires and now billionaires, it's not a lot. So it's a club that you're welcomed into. That article, if you have not read it, I suggest if you care about money and you care about where the money goes and how tax breaks are given and how, you know, I heard Dan Levitard step out the step out the window with this take. But he said, essentially, if he works it right, Steve Ballmer could essentially have bought the Clippers for free. He could essentially have the Clippers for free in the way that he spun it. I'm not willing to go that far. I'm not a tax expert by any stretch. But the point he was making, I could follow it. Because the asset doesn't depreciate and you can pass that on. So normally, if you obviously, if you sell the team, you have to pay, pay some taxes. But if you pass it on, you don't pay anything. So if he leaves, if Balmer leaves the Clippers to his next of kin, assuming he has children, that child will just inherit the team. It won't have to pay taxes. And Balmer, when he dies, obviously won't have to pay taxes. And the cycle continues. That's why, why when you look at something like the Lake Show, 
It's a family business. Jeannie Buss ain't paying no taxes. And when her dad passed, he didn't have to pay no taxes on what he bought the Lake Show for back in the day. So you just keep passing it down. That right there is what generational wealth really is. But you could take a billion dollar entity and just pass it off to your kids and they won't pay taxes and you don't pay no tax. And the asset keeps appreciating. The Lake Show is never going to depreciate. They could go down. I mean, look, those Kobe years were lean at times. Post Shaq, before Gasol, that little run there, the smush years, the Kwame years. Those some rough years, bruh. And even post Gasol years. Before the youngins came and they had to rebuild when Kobe finally decided to be out. Those were some rough years. But the value never diminished. The Knicks have been horrible most of y'all lives who are listening. They've been horrible. They've been inept. And the value keeps going up. Dolan could pass that off to his kids and he'll never have to pay taxes on. I mean, shit, he inherited from his pops. So again, generational wealth. That's what sports business ownership has done. And that's something that, to spin it back around, when you see these teams and these leagues that are rushing to bring fans back in and rushing to throw players out there, regardless of whatever their health status is or isn't, this is the results. This is why boxing fights get postponed. This is why guys go to the Olympics and now have to come home. This is why baseball games potentially have to be canceled or postponed because both teams have been exposed to the Rona. Because everyone, including the ones who pay 12% taxes as multi-billionaires, are rushing for the median or below median average folk to come outside and spend money. And like I tweeted out last year, it's a savage money play. And what up until that point was the most important game of his life. To put his team on the brink, on the cusp of winning a Larry OB to go up 3-1. And further cement this storybook season, this biopic season, this doc season. Your floor general. Your leader of men. Your coach on the floor gave you 10 points. Seven assists, five turnovers. Oh, but Sam, you know, you saw him. He looked looked hurt, man. He's hurt. Oh, now he's hurt. Oh, now he's hurt. Okay. Well, guess what? Devin Booker's hurt. What are you doing game four? Who looked like they were trying to put their team on the cusp of winning a championship more, playing through injuries? The point fraud or D-Book? The one who dropped 42? It was damn near unstoppable from the mid-range or the one who slipped and fell in a big spot? You tell me. Time and time again, y'all run to me with his stat line is crazy. Time and time again, when his teams win, y'all throw it in my face. Yet time and time again, 
When he falls and goes boom, when he spits the bit, when he's tragic, when he's trash, when he's basura, it's crickets outside. It's crickets in my mention. It's crickets in my text. It's crickets in my DM. What happened in game four? I don't want to hear about the left wrist because the Bucks were playing him to go left the whole goddamn night and the two games before that. And his numbers weren't up to par. He's had 15 turnovers in the last three games. But when he wasn't turning over the rock, y'all were quick to throw those tweets at me. Y'all were quick to throw those stat lines and those box scores at me. Mans is now a turnover machine and now, oh, it's the left wrist. It's the left wrist. It's not the fact that they're shading him to his weak hand even before it got hurt. It's not that. It's not that. It's not that they finally realized he can't go left. It's not that. It's not that they realized, like I told you on the last pod, only 5% of his shots are layups. It's not that. It's the wrist. But let him go out there in game five and kill it. What y'all going to tell me then? Oh, it's not the wrist? Oh, this is just, oh, that's CP. So it's CP when he goes off. But when he's trash, it's the wrist. Make up your fucking minds. Y'all telling me he's the point guard one day, but then the other day it's crickets and y'all allow me to call him the point fraud on those days. Make up your fucking mind. But I'll tell you this though. Being up 2-0 and having the basketball gods come down and make you potentially spit the bit, I'm just going to say this. And I told this to Philly, and they didn't listen, and they let it happen. I'm just going to tell y'all to tell the point fraud, don't let it happen. I'm telling you, y'all thought what I did to Philly was bad, how I mocked them. Don't let the point fraud be up 2-0 in the NBA Finals. And people were basically saying the Finals was over. You have former front office executives going on, you know, blue check boy shows saying the finals is over. It's 2-0. It's a wrap. CP and book is too much. It's over. Let's coronate them now. And now all of a sudden it's a 2-2 series. Now, again, was the win that great? No. Great game. Was it a great win? No. There were some great moments. The blocks from Giannis were great. I mean, imagine if he was on the Nigerian team. They might have blew the U.S. out. Real shit. They might get the gold if the Nigerian freak was actually playing for Nigeria. Anyway, sidebar. The blocks were phenomenal. I'm not going to jump out the window and say that was the greatest block I've ever seen. Is It beats LeBron. Nothing. It's going to take a long time for somebody to do what LeBron did to Iguodala in Game 7. It's going to take a long time because it's not just how great the block was. LeBron's done many a chase down blocks. I mean, have we forgotten how Bron first came on the scene with that shit against Tayshaun Prince? Like, we're not going to forget the chase down block. The chase down block was just the first part, but then you add on the other layers. Game seven, on the road, fourth quarter, waning moments. Down 3-1. Greatest regular season record of all time. Possibly the greatest team of all time. All those layers added something to what that block was. 
the Giannis block, you could say it helped stop his team from going down 3-1. Yes, but he was at home. It was game four. And it wasn't like that was a game-winning shot attempt or a game-sealing attempt. It was a huge momentum play, for sure. But let's just calm down a little bit. But it was great. He had two great blocks. Both blocks he had in there were amazing. What did we learn? What did we learn from game four? Role players play better at home. And game four answered the question I put in the description in, in after game three. Are Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday role players? The answer is yes. Chris Middleton giving you a 40-piece after having a dynamite game three. I mean, he's played well in three out of the four games, right? So you, if you want to throw out game two, okay. But when you look at what Drew, even though Drew was horrible, four for 20, right? Four for 20. But it's the fact that he took 20 shots. He took one more shot than Giannis. So again, Giannis' thing is not to score. You've seen it now. But he's dropped 40 in back-to-back games, and they're one and one. So him dropping points doesn't automatically mean they're going to win. All these comparisons to Shaq and how dominant he is. And granted, you know, some of those numbers, I think before game four, he was 30 of 38 in the paint. And not like the whole entire paint, just at the bottom of the paint within like five feet. He was 30 of 38. That's dominant, right? That's that damn near automatic. But what I'm saying is that when Shaq put up crazy numbers, I don't remember the Lakers losing a lot. <laughs> like, I don't remember too many games where Shaq was giving you 40 and 20 and they lost. Giannis's 40 isn't as impactful as a Shaq 40 or even a D-Book 40. Like, that D-Book 40 was Shaq-like from the mid-range perspective. He was dominant like Shaq, but from the mid-range. What is he, 17 of 24 or something like that? 17 of 20-something? Like the, it, was, it was a clinic. And yes, he got away with two fouls. He had seven fouls, not five. He had seven fouls. But that's he's a top five player. And I tweeted that out. It was like, that proves to me he's top five. Because only a top five player or a guy that's in that range gets that type of call. And I really wanted to believe that boss man was out there flopping around, but he was getting raked over the face all goddamn night. And he didn't get all those calls. He got some of those calls late. You know, he did flop on the Pat Connaughton one. I, I will say he did embellish crazy on, on the Connaughton one where he flew goddamn from one part of the court to the other. But I mean, this is where we at, man. Game five. I said it a couple of pods ago. Who's going to steal one? Could the Suns steal game four and go 3-1? They couldn't. Now it's back on the Bucks. Can you go in the road and steal game five? Because you're going to need your role players. Role players are going to decide this series. Pat Connaughton, damn, they gave you a double-double, and that's points and rebounds. For a guy who's known as a shooter, he went and hit the glass with it. I don't see him doing that on the road. Brooke Lopez has been played off the floor in this series. He's going to get you 20 minutes now. 
He's not going to play long just because of what he can't do on pick and rolls and the fact that they're going to keep switching. The one thing Drew has done between his games two and four is that he's tried to fight harder to go over the screen. You've seen that. But he can't do it every goddamn time. You know how much, phys- you know how much punishment you're putting your body through? How much physical punishment you're putting your body through to fight over a screen every time? Because the point fraud and campaign and deep book, they're getting multiple screens per possession. It's not just one screen. It's two or three screens per possession. To fight over that every single time is taxing. I mean, we can look at that four for 20. That's probably because he's fighting over all them goddamn screens and he's tired. And that's why Jeff Teague's been in the mix. Jeff Teague's been getting some spots, spot minutes here or there. And shout out to Julius Hodge while we're here. Shout out to Julius Hodge on Twitter, who's been throwing subs at the point fraud for the last couple of weeks. I am here for it. If this happens, and I'm already telling you to tell the point fraud, don't let it happen. If this were to happen, please believe I'm reaching out to Julius Hodge. Whether he comes on will be up to him, but please believe I'm going to reach out to Julius Hodge to get him on this pod, and we're going to sit here and roast the point for all together if I can make that happen. And the narrative of Giannis and what is he and what isn't he, I think is quite clear, and he's admitted as such. I think he said this while I was in Jamaica, so I didn't have a chance to come on here and really like talk about it, but he admitted the fact that Chris Middleton is the guy. Fourth quarter, waning moments, who's the closer? He's admitted as Chris Middleton. So I don't understand why people are trying to cape for Giannis, like, oh, see, this is what Giannis is. Giannis is, is the best player on this team. No, who's disputing that? I think the, the, the concept of what a number one player is, is what he's making us re-examine. You're the best player on the team. No one's going to say Chris Middleton is better at basketball than Giannis Antetokounmpo. No one's going to say that Drew Holiday is better at basketball than Giannis Antetokounmpo. But what people can say, when the game is on the line, I want the ball in Chris Middleton's hands, not Giannis's. And Giannis even admits that. So... People want to cape up for Giannis so strongly and act like we're disrespecting him. It's nothing he hasn't said himself. Best player on the team, but man, when the game's on the line, because you see him skirting away from the free throw line now, though, right? Y'all see that. That happened a lot in the fourth quarter of game four. Where he has a chance, he's drawing the contact, and he could put the shot up to go get them free throws, but then he passes it out. Because it's the fourth quarter. You could fuck around in the first three quarters and you could go to the free throw line and you could go 50% or, you know, whatever from there. But fourth quarter, no, we need points. I can't split free throws or airball free throws or go 0 for 2 from, from, from the free throw line. We need these points. So I'm just going to get the foul and let's reset, take the ball out. So if he can admit that, if he could admit that, yo, when, the, when it really matters, we're putting the ball in Chris's hands then how come all these Giannis capers love to pull up and act like we're trashy Giannis? We're just calling it what it is and what he's admitted. Man said he ain't the number one option. Not the number one option when it counts. 
But yes, Giannis can still make plays that could decide the game. No one's ever disputed that. We just disputed and given the man the MVP, you're saying in the historical aspect of what the award has been, they give MVP awards to number one options. Jordan, LeBron, Bird, Magic, Duncan, Robinson, Hakeem, Barkley, Malone, all down the line, all the ones, the fortune two-time MVP with trash-ass ankles, whoever you want to give it to. It's normally been given to guys who have been number one options, the Beard, Russie, KD. So when they gave it to Giannis and gave it to him twice, it boggled my mind because I'm like, this dude's not even the number one option on, on his own team. And I was killed for it. I was slandered for it. I was questioned for it. But here he is openly admitting, I'm not the guy in the waning moments. I'm not the guy when it counts. It's going to be a sad day for me if Chris, when Chris retires. Chris Middleton allows Giannis to do what he does great, which is everything else. He's a great defender. Although I think he should not have gotten defensive player of the year last year. That shit went to AD. That shit went to Anthony Davis. But he's still a great defender. He can crash the boards. We know how he is in transition. He can have those moments like those two blocks in game four. Those are game-changing, game-deciding, maybe even title-deciding moments. But when it comes down to the, the traditional sense of number one option, shot clock running down, game on the line, whose hands are you putting the ball into? If I'm the coach, it's never going to be Giannis. And he agrees with me. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. Uh, merch is still up. Shout out to the homie Alvin, big supporter of the pod for a while now. Had to retweet that. He made sure to put his point fraud t-shirt on the air. So we got that popping. So the merch is popping. The link for the merch for the store. We're going to try to get some uh, Phoenix Suns colorways for the point fraud shirt if you want to go do that. So I'm working on that. Let me know if you if that's something you, you would want to cop. And anything else you would want to cop. Any any of my sayings, I have merch available in those sayings. Habitual Nutheader, don't be scared, you can rock that. When this gets Taron Taskmaster, Nick's tape, you can rock that. So anyway, check out the merch store. It's down there. Uh, working on rebranding that a little bit down the line, but for right now, the merch store is where it is. Um, there's sales all the time, so just check that out when you have a chance. And yo, I'll holla at y'all after game five. For the Sam D podcast, I'm the Sam D. I'm out.